We are in the final part, part 14 of our Community on Mission series through the book of 1 John. We entitled today's message, The Basics of Life, and I want to draw your attention to the fill in the blank, but with just a few thoughts. Y'all, Christianity is simple, but profound, yeah? Christianity is simple, but profound. We tend to make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be. They said to Jesus, so like, what's the core of it? Well, like, what's most important? He said what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if we can get the love thing right, everything else works out. Any sin against God or man is a violation of the love principle. So what we really need to do is become experts in love, loving God, loving mankind, and everything else falls in place. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Meaning that's a natural outflowing of it. If you are loved by God, you will love other people. If the Holy Spirit is free to be released in your life, it will be natural to love other people. Christianity is so much about understanding who God is and what he did for us that it should be a natural thing for us to be Christians. Now, simple but profound. We talk a lot in this church about growing up, being mature. But understand this, you will never mature out of the basics. The basics are always the basics. As a matter of fact, in my life, about every three months, I got to re-rack and remind myself, what is the core of Christianity? Because what I do for a living takes me into the weeds an awful lot. Someone's going to ask me a theological question about predestination versus free will, and I'm going to freak out about it for a while and go, I don't understand anything. And then... We're going to be talking about the Trinity, and I'm going to try to wrap my mind about how God or Jesus is fully God, fully man. I'm like, I don't understand, right? And then I just get all wrapped up in extra stuff. What I need to do every three months is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, yeah? Can we just dial right back in and go, what really matters here? Okay, we can't just spend all our time off on weird stuff. There's a core of Christianity that we will never mature out of when we come to church it is not so much am i going to hear something new as am i going to be inspired to live it out more rightly yeah we need to become experts not just in information we need to become experts in application right where we come to church get our marching orders boom we're out today we're going to be talking a lot about prayer here's my hope we leave this place pumped up to pray there you go I mean, it shouldn't be more complicated than that. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you, maybe on the app that you are working with, is this. A life of faith is built on simple concepts with broad applications. A life of faith is built on simple concepts with broad applications. Y'all, we're finishing up this community on mission series, and it implies two things. What? Number one, we are a community. And number two, excuse me, number two is that we are what? On mission. So I think that community means we actually know each other. We're actually connected together. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But when it comes to the on mission thing, what's our mission? Like we always talk about that, man, we got to be on mission. Got to be on mission. What, What are you doing? Simply this. You are advancing the kingdom of God. How? You are an ambassador 
for heaven. Someone should be able to find out that you're a Christian and come to you with certain things. For example, somebody should be able to disrupt your day and come up and go, hey, I hear you're a believer. Is that true? You go, yep. They go, well, man, I've really been messed up about nightmares lately. So God, can God do anything about that? Do you understand? You're on, right? You're the answer. You're the information desk for God, right? They're allowed to come to you and you're supposed to then turn around and look in your toolbox and say, actually, the kingdom of heaven does have something to say about that. And this is what we would do. Okay. So for example, you kind of scroll through your little toolbox and you go, man, this doesn't work. Okay. What I need to do, I can't fix their dreams, but I can pray about it. All of a sudden you launch into intercession prayer and you're praying protection over them and a renewing of their mind and you're doing all this stuff, right? Because you got all these tools in your toolbox. That's our mission. Whatever they need. Y'all, we have a toolbox from God that says we have everything we need for life and godliness. Too many of us are not utilizing our full toolbox. We open up the little lid on it and we're like, oh, look, a cute little box. And we look in there and we go, man, there's a couple items in here. Man, there's a hammer. And a bunch of Christians are good with a hammer. Right? And y'all know the famous phrase that says, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, well, I could beat it. (laughs) right? Like if something's going, Oh, you got sin in your life. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And here's the other thing Christians are pretty good at. You found a measuring tape. So you pretty much judge everybody else. You know, that kind of thing. Like, yep, you're askew. Something's wrong with you. Yep. Yep. That's not right. Okay. So, but we have a couple things recently. I had some trouble at home with my sink. All right. My sink, the problem was my sink was sinking. Okay. Which ironically is not supposed to happen. The granite that was on the top and the sink was separating. And so every time we were washing dishes or washing our hands, water was just going down the back, right? Because something had broken loose under there. So I did what every good man should do. I looked under it. With no plan. It didn't, it made no difference. I was just looking under it, right? Is all I did is I opened up, I think it was for my wife. I opened it up and I laid down and I went, yep, that's broken. Y'all, I got a bunch of gifts. Handyman ain't one of them. I'll tell you that right now. So what was I going to do? Nothing. Right? I just had to look at it, though. As a matter of fact, if you have a problem with your car, I will open your hood. No idea what I'm doing. Right? It doesn't even matter. I don't even know what I'm looking at. Right? I'm like, mmm, that is an oil gauge. Right? You're like, well, that's not my problem. Like, that's all I know how to use. Okay? So either you have oil or you don't have oil. (laughs) That's it. Okay, I don't have any of those abilities, so we ended up calling a handyman. Here's pretty much what it sounds like when you are a dude calling a handyman. Hey, my wife needs a husband. Sweet, can you help me out here? That'd be great. No, 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 I'm securing myself. That's cool. Uh, But I realize that you are what I should be. All right, praise the Lord. All right, see you soon. Bye-bye. Hang that up. So embarrassing. Anyway, the dude arrives, right? And he said something super ingenious is that he goes, uh, he was talking about how he has all the tools. He said, when you have the right tool, everything's way easier. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Um, it's like, if you only have a wrench, you're like, I must fix it with a wrench. And they're like, that's not even a thing a wrench is used for, right? But I have a wrench. Okay. So many of us are not utilizing whole drawers in our toolbox, 
Y'all, y'all following me? Like, for example, there's this drawer in your toolbox that's called supernatural. You're like, I don't open that one. There's weird tools in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not opening that. I don't even know what that looks like. That looks archaic. I don't even know what's happening there, right? So something flies out of there. And here's the deal. If someone comes to you and says, man, I'm really troubled. You're a believer, right? You go, yeah. And they go, well, I, I think I have a demon. You don't call a pastor. No, you handle it. You got the same Holy Spirit that I do. You have the power and authority of the Lord, right? What happens, you're supposed to open up the supernatural drawer, pull out the power and authority tool, and get to work, right? I mean, this is what we do. We are the family of God. So we are ambassadors, and we're handling all this. So what we do at church is sometimes we learn about new tools. One of the tools we're going to be learning about today is the major tool of prayer. How does prayer work? And I sure hope that we begin to utilize that tool. Once you are used to that tool and understand a little bit more, you're going, man, I could have used this the whole time. This works for all kinds of stuff. Yeah, very, very cool. All right. Why don't we go ahead and turn in our Bibles, if we have not already, to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. We're going to be reading through to the end here, but I think we're going to do it uh, verse by verse as opposed to reading through it and then going back because I realize reading through it doesn't make it any clearer. All right, moving on. Verse 13, remember John's context is that he's a pastor writing to his little church that got super messed up by a bunch of bad teachers. A bunch of bad teachers came through. They were saying Jesus isn't who he said he was. They're like, I don't even know if you guys are Christians. John says he's Jesus' best friend, but we don't really trust him. They were saying all kinds of stuff that really rattled the congregation. Brand new believers, they didn't know what to think. So Pastor John is writing in and he's like, hey guys, calm down. We got this. We're okay. He begins like this. He said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. In other words, I'm writing to you Christians that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, kids, you got rattled, you got derailed. Let me just remind you, you're saved, you're good. God is with you. That's the whole point of what we've been talking about. You received Jesus Christ into your life. You repented of your sins. You said, God, I am yours. Broken in everything, Jesus then allowed the power of the cross to course into your life, to flood you with grace, to wash you with regeneration and sanctification and cleansing. He said, you're all right. I want the presence of the Holy Spirit to remind you. I want the Bible to remind you. I want to remind you all the time, you're okay. You're children of God and you're never going to be anything but. Okay? So first of all, we all need to calm down. Right? But it's interesting. He said, I'm writing to you as believers. Just know this. I want to kind of carve out something for our culture here. And that is... On one hand, I want you to be very proud that you are a believer. On the other hand, I don't want you to be arrogant that you're a believer. Okay, so let me explain that. If you are a Christian, we've been talking about this in recent weeks. If you are a Christian, you are not like everyone else. That you have the dwelling presence of God with you. You walk in a state of perpetual grace. You are what the Bible calls saints, not because of how cool you are or how cool I am, but because of how cool Jesus is, that you are washed and you have become born again into the family of God. You have direct access to our heavenly father. 
You can pray and be heard like nobody else can pray and be heard. You have certain power and authority. You operate as those ambassadors. You have all these gifts. You have all this presence of God in your life. I want your heart to swell with pride that you are a child of God. But at the same time, understand it is an absolute violation of Christianity to walk around with that as an arrogance to say to the world, I have Jesus, you don't. He listens to me and not to you. You understand what I'm saying? Like that just ruins Christianity. You can't have that attitude. Because what is the reality? The reality is Jesus died for their sins too. In other words, anyone you come in contact with, your response should be what? Jesus loves you. And as his child, I got adopted into the family and he's been wooing you constantly. He would love to have you adopted into his family too. His love for you is so strong. Would you come join us and be part of the family with us? That's always our attitude. It's never a us versus them in a negative way. It's an us versus them in a, wow, I feel blessed and I would love for you to be with me. That's the attitude our culture should take. Yeah. Okay, good. Two people think so. Let's go on to verse 14. Some of y'all will cling in. Okay, good. By the end, we're going to have 20 of you. All right, here we go. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, since we're talking about being Christians. What are we confident about? This is the confidence that we have toward God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we will have or we have the request that we have asked of him. Huh? Really? Okay. One of the things I think that John is awesome. Being the best friend of Jesus. That's what I always call him. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I hate the way he writes. Right? I just got to tell you, I am not a black and white thinker. He's a black and white thinker. He and Jesus, man, I got a problem with the way they're talking. Right? I'm going to talk to them about that someday. Uh, you know, he'll say certain things that are like, it's either this or that. It's really blatant. He'll say, Jesus will say things like, bad fruit never comes from a good tree. And I'm like, sure it does. Look at me. Right? I'm like, I don't know about that. You know, well, John's the same way. So right here, he's like, you know, that whenever we pray, if we're believers, we always receive anything that we ask for. And I'm like, no, no, we do not. Right? Isn't that what we all struggle with? Okay, a couple things about prayer. What's intriguing is it says, and this is the confidence we have when we talk to God. Do you understand that word in Greek? The word for confidence is freedom of speech. Because of what Jesus did by ripping the curtain, right? When he dies, Father ripped the curtain in two from top to the bottom. We have full access to God. It says we can boldly come into his presence. In other words, you have freedom to speak freely with your dad. So maybe some of you in prayer, we need to learn right now that prayer is just communication with God. And as much as I'm going to talk about, well, we can kind of do it with this mindset and this mindset, what you're not going to hear me say is here's the right words to say. Because here's the deal. God doesn't need the right words. He knows what's going on in your heart. Do you understand that he's closer to your request than your lips are? What does that mean? He dwells in the very core of where thoughts and intentions come up. By the time it gets to your lips, it's way later. So you're like trying to say it as if now it's got going on. He's like already had it a long time ago, right? And the whole reason you and I ever think to pray is because he's the one that started it, right? 
that he hears us, and when he hears us, we always have the freedom to say it out loud. He's the healthy dad that can handle kids going ballistic. The Old Testament is full of people unloading on God. He can handle it. Some of you are like, oh, man, I was super mad the other day. I can't believe I used a bad word when I was praying. He can handle it. Yeah. We don't need to worry about that. So many of us are like, well, I don't really want to pray about it. I'm not quite sure the right way to say it. Say it any way you can. You don't need a little baby can pray because they have a relationship with God, right? They don't need to say it the right way. They just need to say it with all their heart. That's it. So please, there are some of you that just need that heaviness lifted right off your shoulders. Just talk to God in whatever way you know. Yeah. All right. But then he says this. He said, he's listening. Okay. So we just finished worship, prayer and healing night. Yeah. That man, 1,600 people in a room. We're praying like crazy. We have six different churches. The prayer teams are coming together. It's an awesome, awesome event. I particularly am in an area where I am looking into the eyes of people I love very dearly that are in really bad situations. Man, we're not talking about a, a little stuff. We're talking about huge stuff. We're talking about ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. We're talking about brain damage. We're talking about stroke. We're talking about heart attacks. We're talking about brutal stuff. And this is what I'm praying through all night long with people that I desperately want God to heal, right? So afterwards, I'm going to be doing an awful lot of kind of examining and thinking back through the night. Oh, did I do it right? Was I praying right? Was I thinking right? Was I... And I have to always do, after any prayer session, I have to do what I call a Mount Carmel analysis. Y'all know what a Mount Carmel analysis is? No, I just made it up. Okay. Mount Carmel's famous for something. What is it besides candy? Elijah. All right, good. Fantastic. Elijah had this huge showdown. You remember this? It was one dude of God against a whole bunch of bad guys that were pagan worshipers, prophets of Baal, 300 against one, right? And he sets up these two altars on the top of this mountain. He says, whatever God responds by fire and burns up the altar, that's the real God. Now that's a lot of pressure, right? CNN's watching. Everybody's on it, right? 24 hour news cycle everybody's paying attention. So he sets up his, they set up theirs. And as a nice man of God, he lets them go first, right? So they do what? The Bible says they start by calling out to their God, but then they start cutting themselves with rocks and stones, right? And so they're cutting themselves. They're bleeding all over the place. Now, nobody else is doing it to them. They're doing it to themselves. Then the Bible says, and they begin to limp around the altar. Some translations say danced. It's better translated limped so they're limping around going man i'm bleeding all over the place i'm what what are they doing they're calling out to their god to try to get his attention and let him know it's super important so what they're doing is they're going man look at me i'm bleeding i'm like something's wrong with me i'm hurt you better pay attention oh looks like i'm going down something bad is happening you need to respond like if you're out there you got to pick up the phone right they did it so much that elijah started messing with them Y'all remember that? He's like, I don't know. Maybe your God's like sleep. Maybe he's in the bathroom. I don't know what's going on. And they're just poking at him. You remember that? Because he knew something wasn't right. Then they finish their side and he goes to his side. And what does he do? God, we need you to reveal yourself as to who you really are. Boom. The whole heavens rip open. Fire comes screaming down, burns up everything. Hey, our team wins, right? So after I finish praying, I got to do a Mount Carmel analysis of how I was praying. Am I praying like a prophet of Baal or like a prophet of God? You ready to do this? 
Let's do one of those analysis. How many of you in your prayers start letting God know how serious the issue is? Isn't that it? God, seriously, this is cancer. I don't know if you knew this. Cancer's pretty serious. It can kill people. It's renegade cells. Then you start giving him the diagnosis. He gets renegade cells, stuff is going bad in the body, right? Right? Pancreatitis. You ever heard of pancreatitis, Lord? It's big deal. Big deal. Pancreatitis, right? And he's, oh, thank you for notifying me. I've never even heard of that disease. And then we start playing, what, bargaining games with God, right? God, if you do this, you know what? And then we start notifying what good things could come out of it because here's what we're thinking. Lord, you're thinking a little bit short here. So if you, like, heal this person, they can do more ministry, right? Isn't that what we're going to say? We even start doing that about our own prayers, yeah? And it seems like the whole time we're trying to rouse God's attention to this because clearly he's too busy doing something else. We need to get his attention. Then we need to talk about how serious it is because we have more compassion than he does. Are you praying like a prophet of Baal? Because Elijah didn't pray like that. His relationship was so locked with his Lord, he said, listen, let's just get to the issue. I already know who you are. I know you can. Whether or not you will is the only question that I'm asking you right now. But this was not my idea in the first place. The whole idea that I'm doing a showdown was your idea, so here I am. God be God. Boom, everything explodes, right? You see, prayer is relationship-based, not formula-based. Too many of us are worried about saying the right words when we need to have the right lives. You see, you should be able to walk into prayer going, listen, me and Jesus are tight before we ever got into this. By the time I'm praying, this is not the time where I'm trying to get things right. Oh no, what if I did have sin in my life and how does this happen? You're always going to have sin in your life. That's why Jesus had to die for you and die for me. But he says this, whatever you ask in my name, you will receive that. John in his gospel, records Jesus saying that three times. Now, that's unusual because Matthew, Mark, and Luke barely refer to it once. John's super obsessed with this idea. Whatever you ask me in my name, I will do it. Well, I'm looking at my prayer life and I'm not seeing those results. So what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? For too many of us, it is merely the send key on our keyboard. What do I mean? Dear Jesus or dear Heavenly Father, whichever one you got, right? I want to let you know about a problem. My car is breaking down and the parts are really expensive and I do not currently have a job that can afford that. And so I'm going to need you to get me a new car. And in Jesus name, amen. (laughs) Send. If you don't say Jesus name, amen, it's only in your draft folder. (laughs) And later on, you're going to be like, Lord, how come nothing happened with a car? And he's like, what car? I don't even hear about that. You look back, oh, I never hit send. Dang, right? That is not what in Jesus' name, amen, means send. No, it means something a little bit more holistic than that. You know, we think about it in terms of like there's magic words, but it's not magic words. As a matter of fact, the Bible names in the New Testament 11 different things we do in the name of Jesus. In case any of them got missed, there's a verse that says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. So it's like a catch-all. It's not a magic thing. You're doing everything. When we assemble, it says, assemble in the name of Jesus. So what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? I'm going to give you five things. I'm going to give you five things, and later on I'm going to boil it down to two. So if you write fast, do five. If you write slow, do two. Here we go. 
Here's five. In the name of Jesus means, number one, under his authority. Under his authority. He is the king of kings, and we are now operating underneath that authority. That if God says it's so, we know it is to be so. Why? He's the boss. Number two, by his power, he is omnipotent. He is all powerful. Therefore, there is nothing that cannot be done. If we're praying in the name of Jesus, we don't have a lack of resources. We have all the power that we need. So we pray with confidence. Number three, in connection with, you know how it says, be baptized in the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit. It means in connection with. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're connecting with almost like we say, Jesus, you're in this with me, right? I'm in this. Let's do this together. Number four, on his behalf or according to his account, on his behalf, what would Jesus do? You're now praying that into reality. What would Jesus do in this situation? If Jesus would have cast out the demon in this situation, you are casting out demons in the name of Jesus doing what he would have done. He's the head. We are the body. We carry out his will. All right. Number five. In the name means according to his nature, according to his nature. How would he do it? In what spirit would he do it? What is the point? What is the motivation? That's the stuff that we're doing in Jesus' name. All right, so what does it have to do with prayer? It means two primary things when it comes to prayer, praying in the name of Jesus. The number one is most important. You ready? Just write down these two words. Pray aligned. A-L-I-G-N-E-D. Pray align. Remember I told you that it is far more relationship-based than formula-based. Here's why. It means confidently praying in a manner and about things that Jesus would pray about and for. It's doing his stuff for him. Aligning is the key. If we want more answers to our prayer requests, then we need to be more aligned. We need to be more one in mind, one in heart, acting as if he was doing it because he had his prayers answered. We need to pray like him. Number two, what does it look like to pray in the name of Jesus? Here you go. Write these two words down. Pray powerful. Pray powerful. What do I mean? Praying and commanding with the full backing and authority of heaven behind us. Praying with his power coursing through us. Pray aligned. Pray power. That's praying in the name of Jesus. Okay, so how it works is the oneness creates it to be more smooth. And Pastor John has already given us three steps. He said, man, if you want to be connected to God, if you want to be aligned then I'll give you three pieces of advice. Number one, you got to be a believer. You see, a lot of people can read the Bible. Let's say somebody that doesn't know God reads the Bible and says, hey, pray anything in the name of Jesus. They're like, sweet. I'll just pray in the name of Jesus and get a bunch of stuff. Now I got a cool vending machine in heaven. That's awesome. But John said, you don't understand. He treats his kids different. You have no guarantee if you don't know and you're not in the family of God whether or not he's hearing or responding to your prayers. Oh, he hears them. It doesn't mean he's going to respond. The way I've always explained how God treats us different than the rest of the world is that I'm willing to do anything for the kids in our neighborhood, right? Um, Like I'd fix their bike if I knew how. 
clearly I don't, so it doesn't matter. I'm not going to offer that, you know. I'll look at it, <laughs> right? And then I'll call someone. <laughs> but I'm willing, like, for example, we have these little ones across the street from us that are neighbors directly across the street. My oldest daughter, Jill, um, babysits for them. And so whenever I go out to work and they're out there, they go, hi, Jill's dad. <laughs> hi, Jill's dad. Like, I have no other identity. I'm other than I'm Jill's dad. Hi, Jill's dad. And then what I respond back is I go, hey, how are you doing today? And I take a moment to just build them up for the day, to give them my attention and to tell them to have a good day, right? Why? Because I need to care for them just like Jesus would care for them. Okay, I'll do all kinds of stuff for kids, but only my two daughters have full access to me and live in my home. My love for the neighbor kids is big, but my love for my daughters is complete. Does that make any sense? All right, so in the same way, if you're going to want to pray in the name of Jesus and you're going to want to see those responses, you need to have access and because he's your father. So that's critical. The way that John said it was this. He said, you need to obey my commands. What are the commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to be a believer. All right. He said, the second thing you need to do is you need to abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. What does that mean? It's a super easy analogy Jesus gave us. He is the vine. We are the branches. You know this stuff. He said, because if you're connected to me, like the life source, which by the way, I don't know what comes through the root in a tree and all that. I don't nutrient juice. I don't know. Tree juice. I don't know what it's called. But anyway, it comes up through there, through the vine, and then it goes out into the branches and the branches can start making fruit. But if a branch decides I'm going to do my own thing and breaks off and starts walking around, it can't do anything. Right. And so that's why he said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know this. You can do nothing. So in other words, it doesn't make sense to be praying if we're not continually connected to the power source. It's like trying to assume that if you unplug the item that it's going to still work. It's not going to work. You have to connect to the power source. So if you are not consistently connected to the Lord, then we're not going to be seeing a whole lot of him coursing through you. That's the point. And then, of course, the third thing he told us is what we're talking about today. We need to pray in the name of Jesus. All right. One last thing I want to highlight about prayer before we move on. It's very cool. The phrase in Greek, we know we have it, is in the present tense. What does that mean? It means that when you pray, you know now that you have it, even though you haven't even begun to see it come to fruition. When you pray as Jesus would about the things that Jesus prays in the name of Jesus, he said, I'm on it. And you can back off and relax. Then you check in again. Oh, no movement. Maybe I need to pray again. I need to lean in and pray again, right? Because Jesus talked about persistent prayer and prevailing prayer, right? So you go in. But here's the point. An expert is on the job. That's why... The Bible says, be anxious about nothing, but in all things with prayer and petition, present your request to God and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. In other words, when you pray about something, you can let it go because an expert's on the job. You haven't seen the answer yet, but how much stuff does God need to change in order to fulfill that request? Let's say, for example, that your prayer is for a prodigal child. God, my son, my grown son is not walking with you. It's freaking me out. 
I feel like he's not leading his family in that way. God, I'm praying that you would surround him. I know that it is your will that he comes back to you. He used to live with you. He used to walk with you. He used to know you, yeah? And so somehow he's been distracted. Now he's kind of off. God, I'm praying that you would surround him with people that would be good friends. I'm praying, Lord, that you would get his mind off the world and back onto you. I'm praying that you would woo him and draw him. Now, is that the will of God? It is the will of God. So you're praying that out and you're like, did it work? Okay, how much stuff does God have to orchestrate in order to get him back home? There's a lot. But you know that you handed it off to an expert so there's a peace that settles in your heart like we're on it. You don't have to worry anymore. Pick it up in verse 16. All this seems so disjointed until you see the common theme. He said, while we're talking about prayer, and because we're talking about a community that's been rocked, Let me talk about community and prayer. Here we go. Pick it up in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he should ask and God will give him life. I mean, to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I don't say that one should pray for that. Now, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. What? John, dude, you're killing me. Like everyone that was reading this originally is like, "Mm, that's deep. I'm like, deep? I don't even know what you're talking about. Right? So first of all, let's take the stuff that we do understand right off the bat. He said, if anyone sees a brother sinning, he should pray for him. Y'all, intercession in the church is kind of at an all-time low. Here's the deal. Do you even know anybody in church well enough to know if they're sinning? right? I don't know. I don't even know that dude's name. How would I know if he's sinning or not? Because usually we hide our sin, right? So you got to actually have a relationship with someone to know whether or not they're sinning. And when you see that they're sinning, your next step is not to merely be curious and get information. Isn't that what we do next? Man, did you hear about that couple? Dude, I think they're having problems in their marriage. I think that guy's cheating on her. What's your next response? Well, who is she? Who cares who she is? Right? Well, I bet you it's because I didn't ask for your opinion, right? You know what you should do at that moment? Your next step should be, oh, shoot, I got to get off the phone. I got to go pray for him, right? Because here's the deal. If our marriages fail, our church fails. Then our kiddos get thrashed. And then a bunch of stuff starts coming unhinged. We don't have a church. So the deal is, is your sin life is my problem. Not to judge you, but to back you up. There's some of you in the church that when you're going through a really hard time, you got someone to text. There's some of us that don't. Why? Because making friends is hard. Takes a while. Right? But we've got to get in with each other to know each other well enough so we're backing each other up. Because what happens is if I start going askew, like even this weekend, I've just been in the weirdest funk, man, all kinds. It's just been hard for me. I've had a really weird attitude and everything's bugging me and all that kind of stuff. I was able to have two different prayer teams pray for me last night and this morning, right? Why? Because this is my home. This is where I'm connected in. I got people fighting for me. If I do it all by myself, I'm just not awesome. Let's just put it that way. I need backup. Well, y'all aren't awesome either. You need backup too. You need people that are going to pray for you and they're going to shield you. And if they see you going off, they're not going to be like, dude, and then try to figure out who you can gossip about. You jump in and you go, oh, shoot, 
they can't go wrong. We need them. That's what should be happening, right? So we can start with that. But now the whole rest of the thing, there's a sin that leads to death and there's sin that doesn't lead to death. Blah, 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 blah. I have no idea. I read all the scholars and they don't know either, right? Because John knew at the time, nobody has any clue what he's talking about, but I'm going to give you my best educated guess. If you have a different opinion, yours is probably right. But anyway, this is the only one I got. Here's my opinion. I believe the sins that don't lead to death is all the normal sin stuff like world flesh devil. You understand what I'm talking about? We should be praying for each other going, man, that person keeps getting hijacked by the same stuff, right? We should be praying and saying, Lord, would you expose that trap? Would you open up that pit so that they're not always falling in that same place? We should be defending each other. But then there's a sin that leads to death. And John's like, dude, honestly, you can pray for it if you want. I just think that you need to step back. What's he talking about? Well, if we take their context, they just had bad guys come into their church, say that Jesus isn't who he was, wreck other people's lives, and those people are hurtling towards hell. He's like, I don't, you can pray for it if you want, but quite frankly, I think you might need to step off and let God take him to the woodshed because they're not, we're not playing around anymore. This is not like, Lord, help them out, make their life easier, defend them and shield them. No, they don't need to be better. They need to be worse. So if I were you, I would just step back and say, God, have Adam. That's my opinion. It says this. This is another one of those frustrating John statements. Verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God, that's a Christian, does not keep on sinning. Yeah, he does. Look at me. Anyway, moving on. But he who was born of God, that's Jesus, protects him. And the evil one, that's the devil, does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Okay, so black and white statement. Christians don't keep on sinning. I'm like, yes, they do. They do totally. I'm a perfect example. I have habitual sin in my life. Now, this is funny. So I tell people about that, other Christians, and they're like, oh, no, 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 pastor, you don't. I'm like, no, seriously, I do. And they're like, well... Okay, here's the thing. You're probably just changing it up, right? Like you, you, you eventually repent of that one. You pick a new one. I'm like, no, I have the same six. Same six sins. I don't try to get creative. I just try to, <laughs> try to stick with the same old sins that worked last time. <laughs> Why put effort in? And they're like, well, a Christian can't keep sitting. Here's, I said, yeah, they can. So what's, what's the deal? Here's what I think John means. He can't mean what it looks like on the outside. Why? Because in chapter one of the exact same book, same dude said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Okay. So John, what is it, man? Either you got sin or you don't got sin. He's like, ah, let me explain what I mean. Oh, you sin. It's just not you anymore. What? See, what Jesus does is when you give your life over to him, he takes the very core of who you are, the very essence of who you are, and he brings it and makes it born again. You are now a new sort. You are now a partaker of the divine nature. He now has your spirit locked off and shielded for the rest of eternity. You are a child of God. You'll never be anything but a child of God. You are pure pure and perfect and holy because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. 
That is a fact. No sin can get in there and mess with that. However, all the rest of you, your mind, will, emotions, body, all the other stuff that goes around it is still in process because the inside needs to work outward and we need to have our outside align with our inside. Yeah? All right. So therefore, yes, you are sinning, but your essence is not a sinner anymore. You are a saint. Therefore, if your identity is pure and perfect, then any sin doesn't really work with you anymore. It doesn't feel right. If I now have been transformed by Jesus Christ and I have the Holy Spirit and he has done a work in me over time, I can't still be a jerk without agitation. Make sense? Because here's what he's saying. He's saying that the Holy Spirit inside you will keep agitating you. So you may be cool with your sin for a little while. You may be even cool with your sin for a couple years. But what ultimately happens is he doesn't let you be peaceful there. Because he goes, that's not what we do. That's not what we do. That's not what we do. Right? And you're like, well, that's what I do. And he's like, well, that's why you're messed up. Yeah? Hmm. I love that. It says, he who is born of God, Jesus protects him. Do you realize that the Bible says that Jesus intercedes for us at all times? Who's the one that would condemn us? It would have to be Jesus. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. But if he's the one protecting you, then what do you have to worry about? Hmm. He said this. He said, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Y'all, God owns everything, but this is the question of allegiance. Who has the hearts of the people? God owns it, but who are they listening to? The enemy. That's why we need to be in the world, but not of the world. Yeah? Okay, we've talked about that before. Let's move on. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him, that's Jesus, who is true. We are in Him, in God, who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God and eternal life. Okay, here's all I want you to know about that. Y'all, we're never going to know all the whys. We're never going to have all the mystery unraveled. There's going to be a bunch of this stuff in this life that you don't know. But there's core stuff you do know. You know that God loves you. You know that He is good. You know that He is your only rescuer and your only hope. You know that the Holy Spirit has promised to be with you at all times. You know that if you're a child of God, you'll never be alone ever again there's certain things you do know and we need to hang on to those basics and never mature beyond the basics we got to know our basics jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so right and then he closes it all out with a a line that sounds random it's not he said this little children keep yourselves from idols now of course, we can take it in context and say, well, sure, he's writing to Ephesus, and in Ephesus is one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple of Diana. When you want to talk about idolatry, you ain't got a much more idolatrous city than Ephesus. All the people he's talking to used to be in idolatry before they got saved. So does it seem practical? Yeah, but that's not his point. Why does he bring it up here? Because he said, kids, this has always been about identity. There is only one true God. And he has said who you are. Please don't ever let anything take your eyes off that. Because any other idol is going to get you going somewhere else. You're going to be thinking about different stuff. And it's going to screw up your lives. Dial in. 
Stay locked. Don't let anything take your attention. What are we talking about idols, modern-day idols? Number one modern-day idol in America is self. Y'all, we always think about sin in terms of the big ones, like the big ten, right? Ten commandments were like, oh, murder and adultery. And the number one most prevalent sin is selfishness. That's what's ruining us. It's a huge idol. Why? An idol is anything that takes our attention away from God and we put it up against God and we go, hmm, I could either do it God's way or whenever you say or, that's an idol. So what are idols like? Money, fame, glory, escapism, entertainment, family, fear, insecurity, depression, hopelessness, addiction, stuff like that. All those grab our attention, take them away from God and start messing with our identity. And John said, man, after everything Jesus has done, don't you dare let anything rip off your identity. You are a child of God. Man, so good. Can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close out? We're never going to mature beyond the basics, yeah? We are, become, we are going to become masters of application, Right? So if you are truly mature, what you will do as you leave this place is you're going to say, how do I put that stuff into practice? That's what a mature person does. An immature person would say, that's interesting. That's it. What are you going to do? Well, practically speaking, we talked about love. Let's love. We talked about prayer. Let's pray. Right? We talked about watching over each other. Cool. Let's do that. That's it. Let's not make it more complicated than it needs to be. And let's pray. And then the altar will be anointed and ready to receive you for any needs that you have. Please, physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever. Let's pray about those. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, for a good weekend. We thank you, Lord, for a wonderful time in your presence. We thank you for being around other saints. Lord, help us to dial in this idea of identity of who we really are. Lord, that you can always whisper to us, hey, that sin, that's not really you. It doesn't match you. It doesn't match me. It doesn't really fit. God, that maybe that would be another motivator for us to let it go. You don't love us, Lord, because we're sinless, but you love us and you help us battle our sin. So we just want to give you all the credit. We keep talking about whether we're good or not. Lord, there is no one good but you. And so thank you for your cross. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your transformation. May you be glorified today in Jesus' name. Amen.